Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with a show for every team in L.A. and much, much more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm Nara Wang, and episode 45 of the Everything USC podcast is going to be different than what I had originally planned for this week. I thought I was going to be talking about another bad loss for the Trojans and previewing a must-win game in Berkeley versus Cal, but the Golden Bears had a COVID outbreak, leading to the postponement of the game with USC, so instead of the guest and show I had scheduled, I'm pivoting to bring on my friend, the Associate Professor of Surgery in the Thoracic Surgery Branch of the National Cancer Institute at the National Institutes of Health, and former Trojans walk-on water polo player, Dr. Seamus Carr. Seamus, thanks for coming on short notice to be on the Everything USC podcast. Glad to be back, but sorry that I'm coming back for the first postponement of the college football season due to a COVID outbreak. But glad to be back as always with you. And of course, if you enjoy listening to this show, please subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. Or go right to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Podcast. For me, find and follow me on Twitter, at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Dr. Carr, I know you're not the social media guy, but I know you want to give out some info on where you can find the most up-to-date information about COVID or any other health issues. Yeah, so you're correct. I do my best to stay off of social media. However, for COVID information, continue to seek information at the CDC's webpage or at NIH.gov. That's the NIH's webpage. And then, of course, any webpage affiliated with your local or state boards of health will have up-to-date information that is probably most pertinent to your listeners. The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. We're back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BLEAV50 to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. I usually start by going over the previous game, but we're going to discuss that later since the big news is the postponement of the USC Cal game to December 4th and the fact that it's due to players in the Golden Bears program testing positive for COVID over the past week or so. There have been 44 total COVID cases among the team, including coaches and staff, and over 20 of those are reportedly players. Seven Cal starters missed their game at Arizona on this past Saturday, including quarterback Chase Garbers, an ugly 10-3 loss by the Bears in Tucson. 
We are recording on Thursday, and two days ago, Cal reported additional COVID positives following the group from last week, and that resulted in the game with the Trojans being pushed back. There's a lot to unpack here because there seems to have been a lot of confusion over the protocols that Cal had to adhere to between the city of Berkeley and the university itself. Now, the city of Berkeley requires its residents to isolate for 10 days after testing positive for COVID. That was put in place last year. The Golden Bears came into this part of the season with a 99% vaccination rate among its players. And there was confusion over whether asymptomatic vaccinated players were required to be tested. That's one of the things that Garbers actually went on social media and was complaining about. And Cal said that players that initially tested positive but then had two negative tests in a row could not be cleared by the city of Berkeley. There's a lot of back and forth between the city, the university, the players, and in the end, Players tested positive. There was contact tracing done. There's a strict policy in place in the city of Berkeley. And so it eventually led to the fact that over 20 players missed the game in Tucson last weekend. And now this weekend's scheduled game against USC in Berkeley has been moved to December 4th. Dr. Seamus Carr, what do you make of this entire situation? Well, I think first I want to applaud the football team at Cal Berkeley for achieving uh, greater than a 99% vaccination rate. I mean, that's one of the key things. Second is, I think one of the things we're running up against is science is moving in some ways faster than our policies. Not so sure I agree with mandatory blanket testing of vaccinated asymptomatic players. That gets into a lot of questions. We do know that they are likely to have be infectious for a short period of time, but we also know that their ability to pass the virus along is significantly lower than for people who are unvaccinated. So out of an abundance of caution, I kind of see it, but I think this is this may be just a little bit the issue of people having policies in place that actually don't affect and reflect what is actually going on real world, real time. And so uh, I think, unfortunately, the Bears, the Cal Bears got caught up in that. And because of all the different things that are involved here, is there anyone that you can really blame for what's transpired? Or is everyone to blame in a certain sense? Because like you said, the policy hasn't been updated apparently since last year. And it just seemed like the university and the city just weren't on the same page and they didn't tell the players and the staff and the coaches what was really going on. Yeah. I mean, I think that the one group of people that can feel like they can hold their heads up high are the players. They went out, they did what they were supposed to do. They went and got vaccinated. They're out there doing the right thing. I think the university should shoulder some of the blame. And I think that the local community and the local government uh, in and around Berkeley should shoulder some of the blame for not having plans that are congruent. It needs to be the same, right? And I mean, we need to have something that's science-based. We don't just turn around and make something up and then let it happen. You, you, what you really need to do is follow what the science is saying. And, and unfortunately, that may mean updating these policies more often than annually. So 
And I also want to think that the, the commissioner of the PAC-12 also did the right thing. I know that at the beginning of the year when, we, when I was last on, we were talking about, well, what if this does happen? And you know, the idea of should there be a forfeiture? And, and I said that we should. If the people aren't doing the right thing, they should forfeit. But in this case, the players did do the right thing, and they're caught in a policy that doesn't quite make scientific sense. And therefore, I really want to applaud the Pac-12 and USC for coming together and finding a way to play it in the future as opposed to forcing a forfeiture on Cal. Totally agree with you on that. And of course, let's be honest here. Both teams want to play the game because they both need wins to get bowl eligible. So there's that aspect of it as well. But you're right. It would be wrong to penalize a team that had its players get vaccinated to such an extent that it's not because they weren't vaccinated that this happened. And so the fact that, hey, listen, both teams are not going to be playing that weekend in the Pac-12 championship game. We can be sure of that. So exactly, it's an open date for both teams. They can get together, reschedule it to then. It makes sense for everyone. And both teams are going to want to play this game because they both might be needing that sixth win on that Saturday, December 4th, to try and make it to a bowl game. Cal would need to sweep their three remaining games against the other Pac-12 California schools. They got the big game against Stanford, UCLA, and then USC. Meanwhile, the Trojans will have the, obviously, rivalry game against the Crosstown Bruins, the interesting BYU game on Thanksgiving weekend, and then following it up with this rescheduled game against the Bears. So. In the end, the testing that did occur caught positive tests, Mm -hmm. and we can debate about whether the players who were asymptomatic should have been tested and how the contact tracing was done and how strict the policy is in Berkeley. Apparently, once you test positive, you're isolating for 10 days, no matter if you come back with negative tests afterwards, which usually has been the protocol in other sports leagues where vaccinated players, once they test positive... If they return two negative tests two days in a row afterwards, they then get cleared. That isn't the case here. They're adhering to a strict policy of the entire team has to continue testing. And then once there's fewer than three positives within a two-week period of testing at least twice a week, they can go down to testing once a week, apparently, until there's no more positives. So it's a convoluted sort of situation that the Bears are dealing with. That is partially due to where they are located and the policies in place in the city. So would you say that at least there has been an aspect of COVID tests that turned up positive that at least maybe kept an outbreak from getting bigger than it could have been? No, I I don't think this policy prevented an outbreak, actually. I think you're running up against the tests we now use for COVID swabbing are spectacularly sensitive. They're incredibly sensitive, you know, which is why you can test positive as an asymptomatic person. But if you test positive with, as an asymptomatic person, what is your real rate of then passing it along? Again, we don't know where these guys picked the virus up, right? You know, you're tracing it back to the first player on the team, you know, but that person probably picked it up from somebody outside the team. And these student athletes are in classes. They're around other students. My questions would be like, what's the vaccination rate at Cal? 
I mean, if Cal Berkeley has got a vaccination rate that mirrors what else is going on in the United States of 50% or just over that, then these student athletes are exposed all the time every time they go to class. Second is we do know that some of your immunity wanes with time. When that's we've learned as time has gone by since the initial vaccinations rolled out almost a year ago. And so the question I would have is, is what's the timing of the vaccine? When did these players actually get vaccinated? Were they vaccinated sometime in the summer? Did they complete their vaccine status back in you know, June or July? In which case then, you know, we're about three to five months later, depending upon when they got vaccinated. We know that their immunity is dropping. You know, the effective immunity is dropping. So while it's keeping them out of hospitals, they have a 50-50 chance of getting a, quote, breakthrough case. And it depends on which vaccine did they get. I mean, there, there's so many of these variables to look at. But can the city of Berkeley pat themselves on the back and say they prevented an outbreak? Mm, no. And I think that's what the biggest complaint has been in this whole situation. So I appreciate your medical perspective on what's happened here. Again, the big news of the week, USC and Cal's football game scheduled for this Saturday has been postponed to December 4th due to COVID cases among the Cal football program that will prevent them from having enough players to field a proper team against USC for this weekend. So we'll look forward to that matchup on December 4th instead. This is the Everything USC podcast. I'm your host, Nara Wang. My guest today is Dr. Seamus Carr of the National Institutes of Health. And he is on, of course, because of what has happened this week that has postponed the USC football game. If you enjoy listening to the show, please subscribe, download, and rate it at all of your favorite podcast directories, or go right to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcasts. For me, you can reach out on Twitter at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Dr. Carr, let the people know where they can go for their COVID info. COVID info can be found on your local or state Department of Health webpages. It can also be found at the National Institutes of Health webpages at NIH.gov and, of course, at the webpages for the Center for Disease Control at the CDC. This is Steve Lavin, college basketball analyst for Fox Sports, and you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. So now, unfortunately, it's time to look back to the USC game at Arizona State from last Saturday, a 31-16 loss to the Sun Devils in a game that really looked like neither team wanted to win throughout. USC will drop to 4-5 and five overall, 3-4 and four in the Pac-12. ASU improved to 6-3, and 4-2 in the conference. And again, the two-quarterback system that had worked okay the week before really did not work well at all in the desert. Keaton Slovis, 16-28, 131 yards and an interception. The freshman Jackson Dart, 8-17, 89 yards, also threw a pick. He did run three times for 16 yards and a touchdown. Keontae Ingram, who had had a huge game the week before, only went for 54 yards on 14 carries and tweaked his ankle. Redshirt freshman safety, the transfer from Texas, Xavion Alford, had his best game of his Trojans career, picked off two Jaden Daniels passes, the first two interceptions of his career. But 
it was really too much Sun Devil running back Rashad White. 28 carries, 202 yards, and three touchdowns. Added 35 yards on two catches as well. And Jaden Daniels really didn't have that good a game. Only 11 of 20 for 145 yards and those two picks. He did run five times for 50 yards, which not a surprise. USC giving up yards to a quarterback this year on the ground. And so this two quarterback rotation didn't work very well in this game. I've talked about it with a couple of the previous guests on the podcast about what they want to see done and should there just be one guy chosen to play the rest of the way, whether it's the veteran Slovis or the young guy Dart. What do you think, Dr. Seamus Carr? So I'll start by saying that I only saw the real highlight of the first quarter for USC fans, which was the Fox running onto the field and then escaping into the stands. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But after that, because it's Pac-12 after dark and it's 1030 on the East Coast, that's a little too late for my bedtime. You know, I've heard some of your prior guests and and I have to agree with them. Uh, I'm not a fan of a two quarterback system. I think you do the right thing. You get Dart some snaps. You don't burn his red shirt year. You allow him to get a couple games in. You know, he's from Utah. We're playing BYU. I think he's going to get pretty up for that game. I'm sure he'll have a large contingent of family and friends who travel in from Utah to Los Angeles for that game. So I would really make sure that he's available and he starts that game. And if he needs some reps in the game before that to kind of help, help him get there, I think that's the right thing to do. But I think he's the quarterback of the future for us. And, you know, nothing to take away from Keevan Slovis, but his college career is waning and it's time for the next person to have the baton handed off to. So the redshirt rules now in NCAA football is that you get to play up to four games in a season without burning your redshirt. So Dart has now been in three games. And if they're going to continue with this alternating quarterbacks, obviously, I don't think they necessarily care about blowing out his redshirt. At this point, I think most people figure that it's rare for top-notch quarterbacks to stay four years anyway. So either, you know, a new coaching staff comes in if they make the move for Dart and Keaton Slovis is going to either turn pro, which I doubt based on the season he's had, or he'll just end up transferring somewhere else and Dart's the guy, he'll still have three more years. And if he's as good as everyone hopes or thinks he is, he may be bailing after two more seasons anyway. So I don't know if they care so much about blowing out his redshirt season. And so if they are, then they can only play him in one more game. So I think that they're not worried about that as a staff, especially because the staff isn't going to be around anyway. So yeah, good point. Good point. In terms of that, though, do you have any thoughts just as a fan about what USC should be looking for in the next head coach? Yeah, I know that there's, you know, names being floated around and how supposedly I think everybody thinks it's a foregone conclusion that the coach from Cincinnati is going to be the one who gets the job. But I'm going to put out a name. I'm going to see get your take on it. Here you go. Ready? I think Let's we go. need to get Neon Dion Sanders <laughs> as the next coach at USC. The guy's prime time. He's going to be in L.A. You know he's going to bring the star power with the rules, with NIL and everything else going on. This guy in L.A., he's totally there. He is the real deal. I think he's got opportunities. I think he surrounds himself 
with an incredibly solid coaching team. I think this guy's young. He's pro football Hall of Famer. I think the athletes are going to flock to this guy. What do you think? That is a bold statement to make. And yes, Neon Deion Sanders, prime time himself, has been brought up by some people as a guy who maybe SC should consider. I personally don't think he'll be on the list. He is currently in his first season as a head coach at Jackson State. He has missed a few games, though, because he had surgery on his foot that is keeping him from being able to be on the sidelines. So it's been a little bit of a mixed bag there. Listen, he brought his son to Jackson State, Shadur, who is the starting quarterback for that team as a true freshman. And you're right. He has a personality. I think he would love to be in Los Angeles coaching the Trojans. I just don't know that he's ready for all that the big power school entails. Because, yes, he is very photogenic. He's good with the media. He's a member of the media, has been a member of the media for a long time. And he would probably be pretty good on the recruiting trail. But once you get those recruits, you still got to coach them up. You still got to make sure that they're going to be able to compete against these other schools in the Pac-12. And especially a team like Oregon, which is currently the class of the conference and the team that's getting the best recruiting classes in the conference. So... I see that as a very, very long shot for USC for a variety of reasons. Now, I'm not going to dispute. It would bring a ton of excitement. It would bring a ton of publicity to USC. But in the end, it would be judged on the field with the results that that coach can bring. And I'm not certain that Deion Sanders is ready for that kind of prime time yet. So that's... That's my yeah, thought on I mean, it. Yeah, I mean, good points. I mean, I, I just, like, we've been suffering through kind of a wilderness of mediocrity lately, the past couple of years. You know, oh, hey, it's a not that bad a year. Oh, it's an okay year. It's a down year. It's an up year. But we're not stringing together a number of seasons. And even when we do string together a couple of seasons and maybe even end up in the Pac-12 championship game, we've been kind of falling flat on our face you know, either in the championship game or in a bowl game lately. So I don't know. I, I think I would, you know, you can maybe nothing to lose, you know, maybe he, he's the right guy for the right place at the right time. I mean, Pete Carroll, when he came on, everybody was like, really him, you know, he's our fifth choice or whatever when word got out. But I mean, the guy's beloved. He, he's been there. He's done it. He, he made a name for himself and, you know, he really put us on the map. I don't know. The difference is that Pete Carroll had a long history as a coach, had been a head yeah. coach in the NFL for yep. a couple of different teams. And again, I was one of the few people who actually liked that hire because I remembered Pete as the defensive coordinator for my favorite team in the NFL, the San Francisco 49ers. And I yep. thought his attitude was a little more rah-rah that would work with college guys, but bring in the pro coaching in and it was a magical time for USC. It was. And yes, that's what we're trying to recreate. And that's why they hired Lane Kiffin and Sarkeesian and the tree of Pete Carroll. And it hasn't worked. I think they're going to go outside. I don't think they go so far outside that they go to Dion because, and here's the other thing we know that Dion Sanders is his own man and he's going to do whatever he wants to do. 
And I don't know that that means that he's going to play nice with the board of trustees, with the president, with the AD even. And that, I think, could lead to conflict. And that will be magnified in Los Angeles versus Jackson, Mississippi. All good points. All good points. So, again, I'm not sure who's it going to be. I don't know how to find that right diamond in the rough. But maybe they will convince, you know, one of your previous podcasts with one of your prior guests. You brought up a lot of good points about the Cincinnati coach that he's born, bred from Ohio. Wife's probably from Ohio. They've got six kids from Ohio. (sighs) You know, get them all the way across the Mississippi, over the Rockies and into L.A. He is the number one choice. Luke Fickle is. But I just don't buy that he wants to leave Ohio specifically and the Midwest in general when this is not his dream job. As I brought up, Ohio State would yep. be his dream job. He played there. He's from there. And that would be the job that he would leave any other job for. Yep. Can we throw enough money at him? Is his relationship with the athletic director, Mike Bone, good enough that he'd want to uproot his family? I don't see it. But if they were to hire him, I think that's the choice that I think most people would be on board with. And again, we'll see what happens. Clay Helton, the fired USC head coach, already has a job with Georgia Southern. And Mm -hmm. USC still waiting to hire theirs. So my last thing to you about USC football, again, I've already brought it up, needs two more wins in the final three games to get bowl eligible at just being a 6-6 and team. But can they get those two wins with UCLA, BYU, and Cal left on the schedule? I think it's going to be tough. You know, two wins in a bowl game, but a loss to UCLA. I'm not so sure I'd be happy about that as a fan. Don't go to the bowl game, but we beat UCLA. I would take that. So I think that there's a couple different ways to look at this. But I think as a fan, I want to see us beat UCLA. And then after that, you know, beat UCLA and then let the chips fall as they may with Cal and BYU. But I think even if we get to a bowl game and we lose to UCLA, a loss to UCLA, a loss to Notre Dame, that's not exactly a successful season for USC. I'll agree with you on that. I think you got to beat UCLA and hopefully try and ruin their season a little bit and then pick up one more between BYU and Cal. Like, obviously, we want them to win all three, but the chances of that happening with this team are not great. So if the worst case scenario is, hey, you're only going to win one game and you're not going to make it to a bowl, that win better be against the Bruins. So Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm with you on that. So... Before we let this segment go, I got to recap my predictions from last week against Rashawn Haylock, and it was not a good week for the Trojans on the field, but it was a decent week for me in predictions. So the players that we believed in in the game against Arizona State, I took Gary Bryant Jr., the wide receiver. He had six catches for 64 yards, second on the team in both of those categories for the game. Rashawn, he went defensive side. Drake Jackson, the linebacker, who had eight tackles, which was second on the team, three of them solo. So I'm calling that a tie. Would you agree with that, Seamus, that that's basically a tie between those two guys? Absolutely. You know, comparing offense to defense, I would agree. I'll give you the tie on that one. All right. So we tied on that. In the game score, we both took the Sun Devils to win. I went with it 30-20. Rashawn went 32-24, and the Trojans were, at the time we recorded the show, an eight-and-a-half-point underdog on Bet Bet BetOnline, of course, a sponsor of the Everything USC podcast. 
And the final score was 31-16 ASU. So I take the win there since I had ASU covering the spread. And then in the prop bet, Nara's no-doubter was that both teams would combine for at least four turnovers. And I managed to get that on the dot because each team had two interceptions, one for Slovis, one for Dart, and two by ASU QB Jaden Daniels. And Rashawn, his Ray Ray's rollout was that Kyle Ford would step up and get five catches with Drake London being out with injury. And Kyle was only able to come up with two. So I get two wins on the week with the game score and the prop bet and the tie on the players we believe in. So on the season now, I have 12 wins against seven losses and four ties. So improving my predictions record, at least, while the Trojans struggle on the field. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I don't have to potentially make any picks this weekend because there's no football game against you. Yeah, you're off the hook, Seamus. So this is the Everything USC podcast. I am Nara Wang. My guest this week, longtime friend, Dr. Seamus Carr, is the associate professor of surgery in the thoracic surgery branch of the National Cancer Institute at the National Institutes of Health. He was a water polo player during his time at USC as well. And if you want to catch this show, subscribe, download, and rate it on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, all your favorite podcast directories, or go to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Podcasts. For me, I'm on Twitter. Catch me at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Dr. Carr, what are the places that people should go to for their medical information? Well, for medical information in general, actually, you can go to uptodate.com, U-P-T-O-D-A-T-E, all one word, uptodate.com. And there's actually sections that are written for patients by physicians in an evidence-based manner. For COVID information, continue to get information from the NIH at NIH.gov, the CDC, the Centers for Disease Controls, or from your state or local board of health. Trojan fans, this is Brian Jones, college football analyst for CBS Sports, and you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. And since Dr. Seamus Carr was a walk-on water polo player during his time at USC, I can't let him go without talking about the men's water polo team because the last time that he was on Seamus called an NCAA title for the men's water polo squad prior to this season starting. And so far, the team is making them look pretty good. The Trojans are 16-1 and on the season, the only loss in October to Cal. And they're coming off a back-and-forth 8-7 victory at home on Senior Day against those crosstown rival Bruins this past Saturday. This weekend, it's going to be exhibition games for both the men's and women's program in the pool as they are playing the alumni teams before they get ready for the MPSF, Mountain Pacific Sports Federation Tournament, November 19th through 21st up at Stanford. And then the NCAA tournament will take place at UCLA December 4th and 5th. So, Seamus... Your prediction looks pretty good so far. You said that this was going to be a dominant, really great USC team. Of course, there's a history of great USC teams. You know all about that. And so far, 
How do you think this Trojan team matches up to what you thought they would be? I think they're playing amazingly well. And, and that even includes the fact that the Vavich brothers really aren't even playing at all this year. Ashworth Moulton, Jacob Mercer, Jake Earhart, and Nick Porter in the goalie. I mean, these guys are just absolutely stepping up and just burying it. Some of the plays that they were running that Pinta, Marco Pinteric has got them running. I was watching the win against UCLA and they're just, they're hitting their stride at the right time. Looking ahead, I actually have a little bit of worry more about Cal beating us again than I have UCLA actually beating us. Cal's got a lot of firepower up there, but I think with Nick Porter in the goal and a really strong defensive standout that they've been doing, um, I think that they're just kind of firing on all cylinders at the right time and nothing would be more fun than to win the NCAA title and, you know, storm the pool after winning the title at UCLA. That, as a USC fan, that's just, that's going to be awesome. Unfortunately, I, I haven't been enough in a pool in God knows how long to get out there for the alumni game. But one of these years, I'll have to make the commitment to uh, get myself a little bit better swimming shape to go out and, and see if I can still throw a ball around <laughs> in, the, in the water polo well. So that's coming because my kids keep asking me if I'll do that before they like leave for college. And so uh, those dates are coming quickly. So it might have to be next year or two uh, once we're a little bit further making this pandemic more of an endemic and go from there. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, that match against UCLA, I watched it on the Pac-12 network, and it was tough to watch at times just because of the tension. You had a big crowd there at the Uitengsu Aquatic Center on mm -hmm. USC's campus, and Porter, like you said, coming up big, 12 saves in the game, and he's now up to sixth on the all-time saves list in USC history with 626 so he's moving up that list. And you got Moulton, who's the transfer from UCLA, sticking it to his former squad with the game-winning goal. And it was a lot of drama as the lead really was back and forth. No one had more than a one-goal lead until the fourth at the very end when SC made it 8-6 with yep. seconds to go in the game. And uh, UCLA managed to get one more, but then SC runs out the clock and gets the 8-7 victory. So a good way to go into the postseason. And you always have to worry because in water polo, once you get to that NCAA tournament, I mean, we're expecting USC to be there, but only having four teams, it's just really a crapshoot at times, right? When you get to that NCAA tournament. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think the key thing for USC, it actually even starts before that, like, you know, before the NCAA tournament, because it really starts back at the weekend of the 19th at the MPSF. They win it, they're going to be the number one seed, right? That's easy. And if you're the number one seed, then you get to play one of the teams back here on the East Coast. There's a couple teams that have been seeming to be playing pretty well this year. But the fact of the matter is, there's not an East Coast team out there in all due respect to the guys who are playing here on the East Coast. And actually, that brings me up a, a little point I'm excited about, and I'll, I'll circle back on that. But even the best East Coast teams, they're just going to absolutely get crushed by a West Coast team, regardless of who it is, USC, UCLA, Stanford, Cal. So, you know, it'd be nice to win the MPSF and then get that kind of a warm-up game kind of per se with a kind of a lower-seeded team, kind of, you know, work out the kinks kind of get any of the jitters out that you might have, especially after losing to UCLA in the NCAA championship game last year. 
And then that way you're able to go in firing on all cylinders. So kind of excited for it. One of uh, my teammates, actually, his son is going to be playing at Brown next year. So shout out to my uh, old teammate, Uzi Hadar. His son is going to be playing for Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island next year. So hopefully I'll be able to get to a local water polo game here on the East Coast and catch up with them at some point. That's I'm kind of looking forward to that. That's very cool. Great news for Uzi and his family. And we are looking forward to seeing what this water polo team can do. MPSF tournament coming up in Northern California at Stanford, followed by the NCAA tournament a couple of weeks later, a break over Thanksgiving weekend, and then December 4th and 5th at UCLA. Like you said, it would be sweet for USC to win a national championship in the pool of the Crosstown Rivals. It'd be super sweet if they were to beat the Bruins there to do it. So we'll look forward to that, get a little revenge for last season. And finally, before I let you go, because we are recording this on Thursday, it is Veterans Day and want to give a shout out to all the active and retired military who have served our country and give my heartfelt thanks for their service. And of course, that includes you and your father. So I want to hand it over to you and let you talk about Veterans Day. Oh, yeah, thanks. My heart goes out to all the veterans, you know, all gave some, some gave all. And it was proud to serve on active duty with the U.S. Navy for a number of years. And, you know, super proud of my dad who graduated from the Naval Academy and then served for nearly 24 years on active duty. Actually, our, our roots in our family kind of go even deeper. My wife's grandfather won the Navy Cross in World War II and unfortunately, though, died, was killed in action as a prisoner of war in World War II. But he graduated from the uh, Naval Academy in class of 32 and again won the Navy Cross. So it's kind of an important day in our family, definitely. And, and I know it's an important day in a lot of people's families around the United States and even around the world. And again, if there's anybody out there who's listening, USC fan, and, and they're going in harm's way tonight, you know, please know that we're behind you and we as a country support you guys and men and women of the armed forces and, you know, continue to do what you're doing for our country. So anyway, but yeah, that's it. Thank you. Thank you, Seamus. Don't think I have anything I can add to that. That was very well said. So I appreciate you coming on to the show on this Veterans Day to be basically the fill-in guest after what happened with USC and Cal being postponed this weekend to December 4th instead. And it's always great to catch up with you and get your perspective from both the medical standpoint and, of course, as a former USC student athlete. Well, a lot of fun again, as always, and hopefully this thing will go into the, the past. And not that I don't enjoy being a guest on your show and talking to you as always, but hopefully we can get past this and you can get people who are a whole lot smarter about talking sports on this than I am. But great to be on again. <laughs> Thank you. And so for my guest, Dr. Seamus Carr, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 45 of the Everything USC podcast presented by Bet Online on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network. The only place with the show for every team in L.A. and so much more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as always, please remember to fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.